the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager, and this is the Dennis Prager Show for a Monday. The Mondays come very fast. We are approaching the end of September, and still in in, um, my part of California, the densest populated, you can't go and eat in a restaurant. William Barr, who's a great man in my opinion has said that this is the greatest violation of civil liberties in slavery. That is entirely accurate. I said this from the beginning. The most upsetting part, aside from obviously the sadness and tragedy of death, which is something that happens in life. There are viruses, there are diseases, there are earthquakes, there are car crashes. Life is fragile. But aside from that, the uh, the greatest problem to me is the acceptance by the American people of government-ordered, and I don't know on what grounds, for half a year, the government-ordered destruction of their financial life. Just been accepted. I will get back to that. Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away. May she rest in peace. Everybody, those who supported her and those who opposed her politically, philosophically, morally, and ideologically, expected her to pass away much sooner. And... uh, by the way, that's, it's a very heartening thing to people who get these diagnoses of terminal illnesses. I know, I know a number of people who were told, you, you know, you don't have much time to live with pancreatic cancer, in fact. Well, what was her cancer? Pancreatic? There must be, they, must have been make, they must be making strides in pancreatic cancer because I, I, I know two people personally who have survived it and who had very bleak prognoses. So I, I I want you to see the bright side of this, whatever your politics. Uh, the truth is, uh, since she was so committed to perpetuating, as I would be, about my own self, there's nothing at all wrong about that. People want to perpetuate their ideology. She made a terrible mistake staying on the court at her age and with her illness at the end of the Barack Obama administration. If she was completely committed uh, to having a successor who was on the left, she should have resigned then. (laughs) uh, She really sort of wanted her cake and eat it. She, She wanted to be a justice as long as she could 
and somehow avoid having a a non-leftist appointed to the court. Well, that was maybe I can only assume she was so certain Hillary Clinton would win that she delayed her uh, her resignation. That was a uh, it was a miscalculation, shall we say? If you look at the uh, do we do we have the Ted Cruz uh, audio? Yeah, he, he's hitting. He's he's a very important senator. Uh, if you look at history, if you actually look at what the precedent is, this has happened twenty nine times. Twenty nine times there has been a vacancy in a presidential election year. Now, presidents have made nominations all 29 times. That's what presidents do. If there's a vacancy, they make a nomination. What has the Senate done? And there's a big difference in the Senate with whether the Senate is of the same party of the president or a different party of the president. When the Senate has been of the same party of the president, a vacancy occurs in an election year, of the 29 times, those are 19 of them. Of those 19, the Senate has confirmed those nominees 17 times. So if the parties are the same, the Senate confirms the nominee. When the parties are different, that's happened 10 times. Merrick Garland was one of them. Of those 10, the Senate has confirmed the nominees only twice. And, and there's a reason for that. It's not just simply your party, my party. The reason is it's, it's a question of checks and balances. In order for a Supreme Court nomination to go forward, you have to have the president and the Senate. In this instance, the American people voted. They elected Donald Trump. A big part of the reason they elected Donald Trump is because of the Scalia vacancy and they wanted principled constitutionalists on the court. And a big part of the reason why we have a Republican majority elected in 2014, re-elected in 2016, grown even larger in 2018, a major issue in each of those elections is the American people voted and said, we want constitutionalist judges. And so the president was elected to do this and the Senate was elected to confirm th- th- this nomination. That, that's pretty important statistics. I'd like to know when the two exceptions were even, you know. This is talking about the history of the United States. This isn't, you know, just necessarily the last 45 years or something. So the Democrats have actually announced that if the president does what he is completely constitutionally, legally allowed to do, uh, they will uh, add justices to the court. This has not happened since 1860. That's 160 years ago. Because there's a reason. The left does not tolerate not being in power. So the fact that they have had a left-wing Supreme Court or a liberal Supreme Court all of my lifetime, all of their lifetimes, is irrelevant. There is the, the, we will not accept a conservative court. Just as we will not accept the Electoral College if a if it means a Republican will win. Whatever enables the other side to prevail, we will destroy. Electoral College uh, or the Supreme Court. I mean, to you realize what will happen, though. If they start adding Supreme Court justices for the first time in 160 years, then when the Republicans take over the Senate, they'll add Supreme Court justices, right? And then the Democrats will become senators, and they'll add Supreme Court justices. 
So it'll go ad infinitum. So the issue isn't who, who appoints judges anymore. It's who adds judges. The left has, but the left has contempt for all American institutions. America's, America's a cesspool in the left's eyes. Why honor any of its institutions? They know better. The motto of the left is we know better. We know better than the founders. We're better than the founders. See, interestingly, I don't think I'm better than the founders. I've never thought of it quite that way. When I think of Franklin and Washington and Madison and even Jefferson, uh, I don't think I'm a better human being. I certainly don't think I'm a wiser human being. Now, if you say I'm better because I don't have slaves, it's somewhat of an absurdity. As you have to judge people in their lifetimes, not, not based on later. Otherwise, nobody was good. one eight Prager 776 is the number here. They, they try everything. They will destroy the country to win. Why is rioting resumed in Portland? What is the reasoning given? Well, the usual, it's not, not, so nothing occurred. They took a break for the fires. I get it. So people in Portland see their businesses ruined, see violence on a nightly basis, see hatred on a nightly basis, and, and they see the Democratic governor, Democratic mayor uh, doing nothing about it. And they will vote Democrat. Oh, excuse me, actually defunding police or removing funding or lessening funding. And they will still vote uh, Democrat. Is that correct? Is there anything the left could do that would cause a Portland Democrat to vote Republican? I don't believe that there is, interestingly. It's a cult. That's the best definition. I've called it a secular religion. Cult is actually a better term. Much coming up. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Janice's story. I was skeptical at first. But because of the pain that I was having when I would uh, substitute teach and have to climb stairs, so I have lower back, hip, and even knee pain. And after about three weeks, I found that I could climb stairs pain-free. But it wasn't only pain-free. I could do it step over step without holding on the railing. I'm really happy. It's, it makes me feel like I'm young again. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384. Eight hundred five hundred eighty three eighty four. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Prager. Got a big, uh, big batch of uh, articles for you. Obviously, including uh, the uh, the Supreme Court issue. I do want to take a challenge, though. Larry in uh, Bullhead City, Arizona. Hello. Hello, Larry. Oh, that's odd. There's not even the semblance of noise. Usually you hear somebody talking to their dog. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, Larry's, uh, Larry, according to the screener, do you think every Democrat is stupid is the question. I've never said every Democrat is stupid. Every Democrat is naive. The good Democrats, people who are not stupid, the Democrats who are not stupid are naive, and the Democrats who are leftist are nihilists. So the Democrats are divided between the naive, which sounds not so terrible. Oh, he's naive. Naive is vile in an adult. Uh, if you can't un- understand what the left has done, you are willfully naive. And will do. They've now promised to pack the courts. 1860 was the last time we had more than nine justices. It ends the court as we know it. That uh, that people will vote Democrat who, who love this country is is incomprehensible to me. Forget to me. It's incomprehensible. Forget to me. I wish I didn't say those words. It is incomprehensible. You think the, if you love this country and you think the left will make it better? Has the left made any country better? I'm not talking liberals. I'm talking left. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Talk to you about a, a murder that uh, took place in Louisville. Now, do you know? Did this uh, was this man wearing a uh, a message T-shirt? Is it in the article? So Louisville WDRB. Joe Bishop was still in disbelief the day after three customers were killed. I should say murdered. In a shooting at his restaurant, Bungalow Joe's Bar and Grill, to Louisville. I didn't think I'd be scrubbing blood off my patio on a Saturday morning, Bishop told WDRB News. Bishop said he had just gone to sleep when he got a call around 11.15 p.m. Friday, this is this past Friday, from one of his managers about a shooting at the restaurant. When he got to the scene... One of the victims had been rushed to a hospital and two others were lying on the patio. According to Bishop, it was a normal Friday night at Bungalow Joe's when a man walked up to the restaurant and shot three customers, all men, who were sitting in the patio area at point-blank range. Nobody had ever seen this guy before, Bishop said, referring to the shooter. It was a totally random act. The men did not exchange words at any point in time. Before the shooting, according to Bishop. 
Louisville Metro police officers responded to the bar located on Beulah Church Road around 11.30 p.m. Two of the men were shot. 26 and 48 were pronounced dead at the scene. The other victim was 24. Breaks your heart. Michael Rines Jr., you see the picture of him, he's a black man, was arrested just after midnight Saturday after police found him crawling in a brush near the restaurant. Police said Ryan's clothing matched the clothing of the suspect caught on video and that he had a handgun loaded with several rounds manufactured by the same company that made the shell casings found at the scenes. And so on. A GoFundMe page has been created to help the victims. So as I said, I I don't see any... uh, So that's very important. I can't say it until I see it. Anyway, so, huh? Yeah, take a look. So, uh, if a white man had gone up uh, and shot three young customers at a uh, at a restaurant, you think it would make national news? That's a rhetorical question. Of course it would. It would show how systemically racist America is. But a black man just showing up and murdering three white men doesn't make any news beyond where it happened in Louisville, Kentucky. The point of my reporting this to you uh, is that the media are the problem. Not uh, not so much the event itself, though there might be more to report on that. There was an article. There was an article in USA Today by a woman. What is her? She is a professor of law at South Texas College of Law in Houston. Oh really? I wrote USA Today. I guess I'm wow, rare time I got that. Are you sure? No, I don't think you're right. All right, here's a good example. Whose memory is faulty here? You don't care as long as one of us goes to the punishment room. Because of the stalling of the show. So one of us did that. That's interesting. Who do you think is right, Sean? This is a very... I say it's USA Today. He says New York Times. So you believe it's Alan is right. You're going with me this time. Okay. Anyway, the woman that wrote this piece. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Law School. Uh, it's a black professor. This is unbelievably important, what I'm reading to you. Uh, if if you want reason to hope, <laughs> this is not going to give you one. <laughs> I am a graduate of Harvard Law School, a law professor, a municipal judge, a wife and mother. By any measure, my life is an example of success. But that success has come at a steep price, paid for by denying my pain. As a black woman in America, by the way, I refuse to spell black with a capital B. 
and I refuse to spell white with a capital W. I refuse to spell yellow with a capital Y or red with a capital R or brown with a capital B. Colors do not get capital letters. The herd has gone for it, and that includes conservatives in the herd. Uh, I already told my syndicator, who changed my, my B to capital B because of Associated Press guidelines, never to do it. I want to salute Sean for winning. It was in USA Today. Alan does feel he, he should go to the punishment room, so here we go. Okay. All right, here we go. What do you do? are going to learn to be more professional. That's what you're going to do. The one thing I will say about that is he is very professional. It's hard to imagine Alan more professional. I mean, humans make mistakes. But you're right, it delayed the show over a completely unnecessary (laughs) He's not just a martyr, he's a model. A model of what? Martyrdom? Of professionalism, that is correct. USA Today, this woman, she's a professor of law. I'm a graduate of Harvard Law School. You you have to hear the punchline. This, I can only describe this article as pathologic. I'm a graduate of Harvard Law School, a law professor, a municipal judge, a wife and mother. By any measure, my life is an example of success. Is that correct? Would anybody listening not say yes? By any measure, your life is, in fact, an example of success. But she's black. And now she realizes the prices she has paid daily for being black. I now, that success has come at a steep price, paid for by denying my pain. As a black woman, capital B, in America, I make the daily decision to either call out and challenge the routine, subtle racism I experience, and as a consequence be labeled as angry. I would label her as angry if she did. That is correct. I admit it. Or ignore the racial cuts, pretending with a smile that the resulting wound doesn't hurt. This choice is exhausting, yet until recently it's one I didn't even realize I was making. I wrote, I wrote a column, this has set blacks back 50 years, that this woman thought she had a wonderful life and now, thanks to the left, believes she's had a crappy life. Only the left could do that. Oh, you graduated Harvard Law, you're a municipal judge, a law professor, wife and mother. Poor thing. You poor thing. Stuck in America. She believed until now that she had it good. Only the left can explain to you, you in fact have had a crappy life in a crappy country. And she buys it. Yes. Yes. Oh, right. Today's video is perfectly on that uh, issue by a black woman at uh, PragerU. Every American should see it. Of every color and no color. Mixed color. Okay. This summer, a white colleague recently asked if I had ever personally experienced racism. 
I instinctively said no. Why would she instinctively say no if it was yes? I later found myself inexplicably angry, first at my colleague and later at myself. Why was she angry at him or her? Huh? You can't ask a black? It it, it angers you if you're a white colleague? Do you understand what the left has done? It has made dialogue between strangers of different colors or even, even colleagues impossible to be real. I don't buy any of this stuff. I, I talk to people of every color exactly the same. I do not think, gee, will this be politically incorrect? How will uh, media matters report it? I don't think that way. I think real. I think decent. But uh, most people are afraid. I, don't, I, don't, I can't even blame them. Gee, what, what, what can I say to a black that will not be offensive? How's your day? She was angry at a white colleague for asking her uh, if she had ever experienced racism. Then she was angry at herself. Why in that reflexive denial was I equating the absence of violent racism with the absence of all racist slights directed my way? In a sobering moment, I realized that my success and that of many people of color, stems from our ability to normalize daily racism. Okay, I'll continue. This uh, article, Trinity in South Carolina, hang on. And, uh, but I, I, this article is so important. This woman went to Harvard Law. She's a law professor, municipal judge, wife, mother. Now, for the first time in her life, she realizes she has she suffers racism daily. So you're waiting for examples, right? I read this article twice. Okay, so give me your daily examples. So what does she do? When I was only a ten-year-old playing. In my front yard, I was referred to as the N-word. This was the first time, but not the last. But she doesn't give more examples later. She, she only gives the 10-year-old example. Virtually every Jew I know has had anti-Semitic experiences when they were kids. Some were beaten up by, 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 by other kids, calling them Christ killers. I know that sounds amazing to many of you. But, the, but they don't walk around thinking America's anti-Semitic. They walk around thinking they were anti-Semites in their neighborhood. And like WNBA superstar Aja, or is it, yeah, Aja, Wil, Aja Wilson, A apostrophe J-A, I too was uninvited from a birthday sleepover in the fourth grade. My friend told me her dad didn't like black people. I was heartbroken, but I simply smiled to hide the hurt. I learned the painful lesson that I was not her friend, I was her black friend. I've experienced countless examples of similarly hurtful treatment. 
but she doesn't give any more examples since fourth grade. Have I personally experienced racism? Ready for her answer? Every period, single period, day period. I am so achingly tired, tired of denying, minimizing, and dealing with racism. But she doesn't give any example. She doesn't give one since fourth grade. If you have it daily, give four examples of the last four days. Pronounced Aja, my apologies. And I mean it. I like getting names right. Tired of waking, listen to what she's tired Tired of waking my daughter up from nightmares where she's asking me if the police are going to kill us. This proves to you how the left and the media, this gigantic lie of police racism, it's gigantic. In, in, the, in the examples that everybody talks about, we don't know that racism was a factor in any one of them. Not in one of them do we know that. And the one that, that uh, Barack Obama lied about, Ferguson, had nothing to do with racism and it wasn't an, uh, a, just an unarmed black kid. It was a kid attacking a policeman and trying to grab his gun. This is how the left, this is, she's a left-wing victory. Good, now you know. You see, you thought you were happy. Happy blacks are Republican. They're a danger to the Democratic Party. Her, her daughter wakes up with nightmares after the police are going to kill us? <laughs> My God, what a crappy job of raising your daughter. Forgive me. If my child woke up with nightmares that, that, that uh, you know, guy, anti-Semites were going to kill him, uh, I, I, would, I would think, how, how to, who put that in your brain? Tired of a lifetime of conversations about racism. So don't talk about it. Who raises it? Leftists. I don't. Service on diversity committees. She's sick of of a lifetime on diversity committees. She's been steeped in this lie of, of racism on campuses. Don't serve on these uh, on these Maoist committees. And participation in anti-racism workshops. Ah, good. If you're sick of it, stop it. Tired of being terrified every time my gentle, educated black husband leaves our house, he will be the victim of police violence. You should be much more frightened of your husband dying in a car crash. What are you talking about? Well, she did go to Harvard. That, that's, a, that's a problem. This is this is the stuff USA print USA Today prints, and and white the white readers are going yeah, poor thing, poor thing. She makes more money than almost all the readers of USA Today. She has more prestige in, in her in her work. Poor thing. Only in America can can you be a municipal judge, Harvard law graduate, mother and wife. And walk around thinking you're a victim every day. Thank you, Left. Another victory for you. The Dennis Prager Show. All right, everybody. Dennis Prager here. 
Michael in Jacksonville, I want to get to you, but I promised Trinity in Belton, South Carolina. Hello, Trinity. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And it's very sweet of you to say good morning since it's not morning with you. Oh, true. Sorry. I've been so busy. I guess I lost track of time this morning. No, no, no. I was complimenting you. You didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) Well, I just want to say... um, how thankful I am for the videos that you do and, um, you know, the, the, the YouTube videos. I know my boys watch them a lot and they're homeschooled and we even use them as part of our curriculum when we're studying government um, and, you know, certain things we're talking about. So I just want to thank you for that and I really hope that it helps kids out there who haven't been raised as my boys have in a conservative home because I think it'll really teach them values that their parents have not taught them. That's right. Well, bless you. Thank you. Uh, That's why PragerU exists, to provide those videos. And thank you for homeschooling. All of everybody listening should homeschool their kids. Most schools today do not teach. They indoctrinate. Michael, Jacksonville, Florida. Hello, Michael. And how are you today, sir? I'm well, thank you. Okay. Uh, I'm not familiar with the the judge in the article or what she thought prior to whatever, but I've been a, a, a conservative since Ronald Reagan. I'm 57 now, and throughout my life I have experienced a lot of, and still do, racism or racial issues towards me. I do not consider myself a victim, but throughout my life I have been victimized. I've arrested for absolutely nothing at all before, uh, hired naturally an attorney, the same judge who didn't really look at the charges, who wanted me to plead out after she read through the charges, looked up at me and the judge, I mean me and my attorney and said, What were the extenuating circumstances, which is why the officer said she arrested me? And I said, because I told the officer, ma'am, I did not invite you in my house. These are the kind of things that I deal with on a daily basis. I may be standing in a line at, say, a Starbucks. The gentleman in front of me is called Sir, who happens to be a Caucasian. When I get in the line and I'm up to the next to the barista, I'm called boss because of the color of my skin. He feels like I need to speak slang to you, which I don't speak slang. So I'm standing there like. All right. Well, you know what? I'd like to talk to you more. Hang on. I want you to know I would say at least half the time I'm called boss. I, I, I give you my word of honor. I swear to God. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain Free Studio. Hi, Dennis Prager here again with a message for anyone struggling with pain. Of course, I want you to know about Relief Factor, the 100% drug-free supplement that tens of thousands are now taking every day. I take it every day. I like being out of pain. But I know you may be skeptical. I certainly was. Then I kept hearing about all the people, including my wife, who were no longer in pain. So I decided to give it a try. In fact, listen to Alan's story. I've been in back pain since my early 20s. Now I'm 51. In my early 20s, I worked for the state prison. I got injured and I was off work for about a year. 
I'm now a train engineer. I basically sit all day long. My wife making me take Relief Factor literally changed my life. I don't feel like I'm 20 again, but my back does. Everyone knows you want something drug-free. You want something that will help your own body deal with the inflammation that can often cause pain. In your neck, back, shoulder, hip, knee, or foot. Actually, even general aches and pains from just getting older, exercise, everyday living, all can be a real problem, even keeping you from sleeping through the night. So here's what I suggest you do. Pete and Seth Talbot, the father-son owners of Relief Factor, have created what they call a three-week quick start. It's a trial pack, and they've discounted it to just $19.95. That's about a dollar a day, and after that, about the cost of a cup of coffee a day to stay out of pain. That's the three-week quick start for just $19.95, and you should know this. About 70% of the people who order the three-week quick start for just $19.95 go on to order more. So do what so many others have already done. Take Pete and Seth Talbot up on their offer and go to relieffactor.com and order the three-week quick start. That's relieffactor.com or call 800-500-8384, 800-500-8384.